things out a little bit better so that the weeks that I'm here, I'm not pulling double duty. Either that or I need to get a Garth Brooks mic. What do you guys think about that? Can I get a Garth Brooks mic? Ephraim, is that in the budget? Can I get one of those? I can sing and then preach. All right, guys, so my title is inflammatory today. For those of you who know anything about our walk, a mega church is normally considered to be something that is fairly negative. Um, we normally see that as something that is kind of watered down. And part of where we're at in our faith is that we want the meat of the Bible. I've heard that phrase a lot since 2007. We want the meat. We want, we want, we want that good stuff. We want that filet mignon of the Bible. Today, though, I want us to, to do a little bit of role playing as we go through Acts chapter 2. I want us to not think of a church as a structure that is built by brick and stones, but a structure that is made up of flesh and bones. So each one of you in these seats, every person who's online today, you are the church. And yes, this facility would be a church, but at one point in time, it was a soccer field. And so the church itself is not defined, COVID tells us that, by the paint and the lights and the HVAC and everything you see or what you don't see around you. The church is defined by you. Because ultimately you are the creation of God. Every person, every human being who has walked the face of this earth is a creation of God. Whether they are living their life in a way that honors the creation or not is irrelevant because they are a creation of God. So ultimately, I want to look through Luke's writings today with that mentality. The mentality that the mega church should be a whole bunch of you. Whether that's in a big facility, whether that's in a park, whether that's in the church under the bridge downtown, whether that's in a tent, whether that's in your living room, the facility to me is irrelevant. If we are doing what we should be doing. So I want you real quick to close your eyes with me. I want you to envision that you were in a small room above other rooms, the upper room. You are having a supper with Jesus. And just like all of us men do, we're immediately done with the dinner. We maybe don't even 100% recognize the symbolism of what Jesus, Yeshua, is doing at that point in time. And we immediately start asking him, Master, Master, who's the greatest? Peter or me? Mike or Ray? Stephen or Trollin? And of course, Yeshua is not going to have anything of that. All of a sudden, we go to the garden. We can't stay awake. Yeshua, Jesus is crying. Judas betrays him with temple blood money. They take him. They parade him through 
and I'm paraphrasing quick. You all know the story. They hang him on a cross. They beat him. Now we're scared. All of a sudden, Mary comes running to tell us Jesus is resurrected. We don't believe it. There's no way. Nobody's ever seen anything like this. How is our mind going to comprehend that Jesus resurrected after we're still trying to deal with the grief of watching him get beat to a bloody pulp? Jesus walks and ministers on the earth for 40 days. He tells us to go back to this upper room, to stay in this place, to stay in Jerusalem. And that's where we are today. Our king is resurrected into the sky. 50 days since. And here we are. Now open your eyes. Here we are. Still in that place. 50 days out. Let that sink in. 50 days. To comprehend some of the most horrific things that we could even wrap our brain around. I'm guessing that as much as Mel Gibson tried to, to be honest about what it might have looked like, it still was probably more gruesome than even watching The Passion of the Christ, which is saying something. Because at the age of 40, I still have not been able to make it through The Passion of the Christ once without bawling my eyes out. And I know that's Hollywood, and I know there's all kinds of doctrines in there, but I'm guessing it was worse for us as disciples in that day. The fear, the agony. Guys, we're human beings. And the last time I talked, I talked a lot about us being human beings. And, and ultimately, God wants us to be human. He wants us to use the emotions. He wants us to use the mind, the experiences that we have to fully understand his kingdom. We can't just understand his kingdom by just looking at him as a university teacher. A tenured teacher, whether it be at SNU or it be at the Baptist Bible College, we can't look at God as just some teacher and that's the only role that he filled. I believe when looking at the scripture at one point in time or another, Jesus operated in all five of the apostolic gifts. I believe he was perfection, God on the earth. That's just my belief system. It's my commentary. But if you look at the life and the story of Jesus, he was the greatest Torah teacher. He was the greatest mentor. He was the greatest prophet. He called everybody to repent for the kingdom of God was at hand. He was the greatest brother. He was the kindest person, even while flipping tables. Today, I want us to, to look at Acts chapter 2. Pentecost has come. God's doing some doozies, guys. The greatest teacher, our greatest mentor, was killed in front of us. He then resurrected. We saw dead people come out of tombs. Like, we're not talking about Lazarus, like, woke up from his bed and, like, had a tiny bit of decay. We're talking about, like, dead people. Like, I see dead people. Like, remember that movie? Like, yeah, they saw dead people. Like, legit, it wasn't even a movie. Like, they saw dead people come out of the tombs upon the, upon the death and resurrection of Messiah. 
It wasn't Hollywood. It was real. And as much as we've seen things that maybe blow our minds now, like, can you imagine all this stuff happening in this period of time? Then the Feast of Pentecost comes. All of them are in the temple courts. They're bringing their offerings three times a year. The male shall go before the Lord. And all of a sudden, in all dialects, the Holy Spirit falls. See, a lot of times... We miss the Messiah's own words. Yes, Messiah, Jesus in the flesh, was the greatest human being to ever walk. But because Jesus was able to fulfill the plan of God, he was able to no longer have his spirit manifest itself in one body. Now, by his death, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of the Father, he is able to manifest that spirit in each and every one of you simultaneously. It is for your benefit that the helper will come. Wait a second. I have God in the flesh as my teacher, and it's for my benefit for you to go away and for you to spend the Holy Spirit, send the Holy Spirit. Yes, his words, not mine. Think about that for a second. We live in an age that has the writings of Moses, the constitution, the law, the establishment of a people and an identity. We live in a day where we have the stories and the testimonies of the life of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. And we live in a day where the spirit of God is manifesting itself simultaneously around the world. See, the devil can't do that. The devil can't take his spirit and manufacture it all around the world. The devil can only be one place. He's, he's a created being. On top of that, the devil needs permission in order to do so. The devil needs the permission of God to be able to go anywhere. God is manifesting himself all around us all the time. Today, I want to talk about how we can get back to allowing God to manifest himself in this community in a way I don't think he's ever done before. And we, we, we've had a, a thriving community for many, many years. COVID's come, COVID's still here or not here. I don't know, it just depends on which news cycle you watch. And I don't mean to mock it, but literally nothing makes sense there anymore. It's just like they're literally pulling it out of their hat. Stephen, I'm getting better with the words I choose. I mean, the words in the Bible, the English version, but I'm just saying. Turn with me to Acts chapter 238. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. Guys, repent and be baptized. All the time. I know uh, traditionally from a Judaism standpoint, from a Messianic standpoint, we like to do that at Shavuot. We like to do that at feast days. Guys, repent, be baptized all the time. Every time you feel like you have stepped far away from God, you step out of alignment with God, which if you're anything like me, seems to be like every day. Repent, be baptized. 
in the name of Yeshua for the forgiveness of your sins, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, for Nate, for Malachi and their children. It's for you and your children. Guys, the reason why this church exists is not because of me. It's for my children. That's it. If you want to know why we make decisions, if you want to know why we're here, if you want to know why I've stepped into speaking more, when I just like leading worship, it's just easier to sing songs than to step out in theology and open yourself up for that. It's because of my children. This church is for my children. Hopefully this church is for your children. This is why we have children in our services. This is why I don't care if your children are crying or laughing or yelling during the middle of the services. Because this is not about you. The Sabbath is not about you. The Sabbath is about God. And when we come together as families and we come together in a community and we have a holy convocation, it is for you to show your children the joy of the Sabbath. It looks different in your house than it does in my house, than it does in your house, than it does in your house, than it does in your house. That's the beauty. Never forget Israel's diversity was their strength. The beauty of the diversity of the Hebrew people was the beauty of their strength. Zitzitz, no zitzitz. Talit, no talit. Kippah, no kippah. Beard, no beard. Jean skirt, ankle socks, knee high. It doesn't matter. Just like it was at Sinai when God brought the Egyptians out, it was a, um, uh, the Hebrews out with Egyptians. It was a mixed multitude. At Sinai, he never addresses them differently. He doesn't say, hey, old white man. Hey, young black man. Hey, no, you are his people, his promise, his inheritance. It doesn't matter any of the rest. That's actually the beauty. It's not uniformity. This is part of the issue we saw at this very time in our day and age. Because we're role-playing. Remember, we're role-playing. I like to think they had flannels back then. Probably not, but, you know. I couldn't wear a dress because it already was weird enough with the title. If I was up here, like, wearing, like, a linen dress, y'all would be like, man, dude, the dude's lost his mind. I mean, he might be right, but... Judaism at that point in time had a, a multi-step process for the conversion First thing you, you did, one of the first things you did was baptize. And the very next thing you did is they went and chopped off a part of you. Mm. That would make you drop trial at the door to see if you were allowed in. And you think we got a modesty issue now. Can you imagine what would happen if we asked to drop trial here? Oh, my gosh. I wouldn't be your pastor. I, ain't, I don't want no part of that. It's weird. These are blessings for your children. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and they were added that day 3,000. Guys, I've traveled all over the United States in the last 60, 70 days, something like that. Uh, my family has gone coast to coast. We've covered, I think, somewhere around 10,000 plus miles. I have not been in a single Saturday church that had anywhere near 3,000 people. Not one. Not a single one. In fact, a good-sized congregation is about 100 people. That's a good-sized congregation. 
But yet it says here in the book of Acts that God added to their numbers 3,000 that day. Okay. I like to analyze myself, my house, all the time. Am I doing right? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Could I do better? Are there areas I'm, I'm really in need of, like, looking at? Guys, when you read this in Acts, something in your soul should say, we are missing something. Maybe it's a bunch of somethings. Maybe it's just one something. But something is missing if we claim to be the people of the book, if we claim that our identity is that of Hebrews, that Yeshua is the Messiah, that we are heirs according to every covenant, every promise that was given to Abraham. And we can only get 100 people to show up in a congregation at a normal time. I've built some of the largest messianic conferences around the country, and I think the largest I've ever seen in person is around 15 to 1,600 people. That's 50% of how many people in this one day the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, brought in to covenant with him. I'm not talking about conversion to a messianic. I'm not talking about a conversion to anything else. I'm talking about being brought into covenant with God. Because I really don't care what you call yourself, what you label yourself, what semantics you want to define yourself. If you're in covenant with God, then you are in covenant with me and we're brothers and sisters. And that's all that matters. To me, you may feel differently and that's okay. But in this community, the most important thing is that we are walking in covenant with God. Hands down. But I can tell you, I've never seen 3,000 souls in this building. Not even when Joshua Aaron came all the way from Israel to lead us in worship. 42. And then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Okay. They were first century. We're 21st century, but we're role-playing in the first century today. In the first century, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why not the Torah? Why not the teachings of Moses? The commandments in the Old Testament were that the teachings of Moses were to be read in every synagogue on the Sabbath. I don't believe that God said things just so he could change things later because I don't serve a schizophrenic God. I serve a God who is a God of order. So I believe that the words of Moses, obviously they didn't have, Luke wasn't writing and then reading back his own writings. He wasn't working on his own Netflix docu-series. They had the prophets in the Old Testament. So why in 42, after they talk about the fact that they had repented and been baptized and been given the Holy Spirit, and that then there were 3,000 added to them that day, why then does it lead off and says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching? Why not the teachings of the Tanakh? Why not the teachings of Moses? Why not the teachings of David or Solomon? Why not the teachings of Caiaphas, the high priest? Why the apostles' teachings? Because if you look at the lens of the Old Testament without looking at the lawgiver through those lens, you will end up exactly the same way that every person has ended up throughout the history of time. You will create your own Talmuds, your own Mishnans, your own Zohars, your own playbook by which you live your life, which then will create your own little mini cult, your own little mini following, and sooner or later you're in Texas, Waco area, and you're called the Branch Davidians. 
Shots fired, but it's true. The apostles' teachings were the ones that brought into light that Jesus was the Messiah. They audibly heard and, audibly, and saw visually what Jesus was doing while he was teaching the law of Moses. They got to see firsthand. It was their testimonies that was the apostles' teaching. These books of the Bible that we have now that are the recounts of Luke and Peter, Paul, John, all these guys, all the missing members of the Beatles, those writings at that point in time did not exist. It was the testimony that Luke would speak of what he saw Yeshua do. Interesting. Isn't there another place in the Bible that says, when all the stuff hits the fan, that we will overcome by what two things? The word of our testimony in the blood of the Lamb. Your testimony is a powerful thing because your testimony is what God has done in your life. I've been a part of the Messianic movement since 2007, and one of the saddest things for me is when you listen to some of the youth and they have no testimony of ever feeling like God has ever spoken to them. I can tell you, you will never take away that moment when I was 13 years old that I cried out to God on some really nasty carpet in a small Nazarene church. You can take away my theology. We can debate things. Uh, I'm, I'm all over the map on that. Every year I reevaluate things and I'm learning and I'm growing and sometimes I believe things and then I go back and say, okay, I don't believe that anymore. But you can never take away that experience when I was 13 and God came to me and he broke my heart and he proved to me that I needed him. That testimony cannot be taken away. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship to breaking the bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Hmm. Wouldn't it be nice to have things in common with more people today? It seems like the overcurrent and undercurrent of this culture is to be divisive, to have issues with each other. Wouldn't it nice to be walking in, in a season like this where they had all things in common and they were walking together? And they were selling their possessions and belongings. Careful, this is where the, we're getting ready to start talking about tithing. Have your checkbooks ready. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. God wants a megachurch. There's no way around it. He would not give us the numbers of people and say they were being added day by day. There was already 3,000 that were added. And day by day, he was adding people. God wants the salvation of all people. Now, guess what? The Bible's clear. There are some who are marked from the beginning for condemnation. I believe God's word is true. And it says that there are some who are marked. But God wants every person to hear about Jesus and the salvation that comes and to have the opportunity to walk into fellowship and community with other believers. Luke is outlining four major things for a community to thrive. 
One, repent and be baptized. And through those, you then adhere to the words and the works of God. I think we do a pretty good job of that. I mean, every week we try to teach the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. We try to teach the entire word of God. We teach that you should repent and be baptized. I still haven't convinced the other ones, so let me get the dunk tank out. But it's coming, I promise you. I want a dunk tank. And I'm getting a dunk tank. So it's coming. Otherwise, we do it at Chavuot. We do it at events, stuff like that. Sukkot. Share in and participate in the resources of each other who are in agreement. That's something that I think we still struggle in. And guys, I don't want to talk and harp on money today because ultimately I don't get paid. So I really have no, like, there's nothing in it for me. I do not get paid to stand here and talk to you. No pastor at this church gets paid. Are we sharing in the resources of this community for the benefit of all? Sometimes, yes. There's a family in this church that y'all shared in the resources and they were able to get a car. And then they sew it back into the lives of other children as foster parents. So yes, sometimes we do. But are we really sharing in the resources to where we're overflowing that there's no need? How many of you know that Trollin really has not met anything he can't fix? It might take him a while. He might get a little frustrated with it. His frustration is like super kind in comparison to mine. But the dude can fix just about anything. How many of you knew that? Well, his wife, his wife Stephen, trolling can fix just about anything. How many of you know that Ray up here has an amazing resource given to him? He is a prayer warrior. How many of you knew that? He is. He's an amazing prayer warrior. How many of you knew that? How many of you knew that Tim Davis back there, quiet Tim Davis, hardly ever says a word? He's a welder. Last year for our Sukkot, he welded plates that basically held up the entire sunshades for our whole entire Feast of Tabernacles. I have this super cool single plate of steel around my outdoor fireplace that he cut and put together for me. I could have never afforded it on my own, but he had skills and his family wanted to bless me. How many of you knew that Stephen and Alicia work in the medical field that, that not only is Stephen a registered RN who now has gone into some other field, which by the way, I got to follow up with you. I haven't gone too long. I realized I was talking with somebody this week and realized that you left the hospital. So, and, huh? No. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. And Alicia has her own wellness business, supplements, stuff like that. How many of you knew you had somebody who you could call inside the community who would desire to help you, whose desire is for you to be healthier, whose desire is if you're struggling, she wants to help find out how to balance that out, order blood work, whatever. How many of you knew that? How many of you knew that Peter Michael Sullivan has his name accredited to Hollywood films for being one of the greatest sound men I've ever met. I'm not talking about how much money you have, guys. Yes, money is an easy way. And yes, money is needed. The church that we rent from doesn't allow us to pay in blueberries or in kind words. 
Now, they do cut us a sweetheart deal, but they still need, they still need money. But how many of you have problems or things that go on, whether it be with your house or your car or, or with your, your health or whatever it might be, and you don't care about money at that point in time, you're just looking for somebody who has a solution. So most of the time we go to YouTube and then we're looking on how to fix something and maybe, just maybe, somebody in the community had the resources to be able to help you. And not only did they have the resources to help you, they had the heart and the willingness to help you. And when you did that together, you actually grew and bonded with each other. And you felt a debt to them that you wanted to repay them, so you wanted to do good to them. You don't feel that way when you're watching YouTube. You do not want to do good to do perfect because dude perfect taught you how to do a trick shot. That's the only YouTube I watch. My kids won't let me watch anything else. Those guys are insane. Breaking bread together, table fellowship. Guys, I, I have to admit to you, everybody knows I'm very transparent. I did not want to bring Table Fellowship back. I didn't. It, I worked many, many hours throughout the week, and it was really nice during COVID to not have to worry about having to set up, stay after, share a meal, whatever. We could go home by 1 o'clock. We were at home on Shabbat. We were able to take our nap. Selfishly, I did not want Table Fellowship to come back. But when I was fighting Daniel and Ephraim about bringing Table Fellowship back, God was bringing me this message. He brought me this message back in November before we went on sabbatical. And I texted him and I said, it's pretty bad when you're a hypocrite and God immediately takes you to passages in the scripture to prove that you're wrong. My intention on going through the book of Acts was not to prove myself wrong. My intention when I open the Bible is never to prove myself wrong. God has a sense of humor. Because that seems to be what happens every time I open the Bible. Guys, I was wrong. That's why Table Fellowship is back. That's why we're doing it after services. That's why we're easing into it. That's why we're going to do it next week and we're going to do it the week after. We're going to get back on our schedule of the first and the third of every single month. Because that fellowship is needed. According to Luke, this is minimum. This isn't even talking about getting together for coffee outside of work. This isn't even talking about going out and hanging out at Jimmy John's or Firehouse Subs. Don't go to Subway. Their subs are horrible. But wherever you're going and having fellowship through the week, this is minimum. And number four, pray and worship God. Luke is using a specific literary style here called inclusio to highlight those four main elements in these passages. Why? Because those four things are important. What happens when those four things are operating in a community? They were saved day by day being added to their numbers. Now again, I don't make any money from this church. So adding members to this church, adding people to this church who attend to this church, normally that would be, well, if there's more people here, it makes me feel better about myself when I preach, and that means there's more money coming in, which means we can do more things. I might get a raise. I'm not getting a raise. Actually, I got like 100% raise this year. I'm up to $0 a year. It's amazing. Amazing. No, why is it important why would Luke outline it in his writings? Because ultimately God's desire is for everybody to be saved. How does God do that? He works through you. You are the temple of God. You are the dwelling place of God. You are where the Holy Spirit should be inhabiting and going out for, from. 
a lot of good people in this congregation. There's a lot of good people. But can you honestly, before God, not before me, because I'm not your judge, can you say that you're using your talents and your resources to come together? Can you say that when you have the opportunity to break bread with another person and establish a covenant and a fellowship with them, that that is something you're going out of your way to do? That you're seeking for those opportunities so that you can grow together, that God can really grow this community together so that every person who's out there that doesn't know of the love of Jesus would see the love of Jesus living inside how you're doing life with each other. You can't be in covenant with each other and only care about each other on Saturdays. Just like if this is the only place that you're hearing the word of God, you will never be filled. It should be every day. You should be doing life with each other. This is what Acts is talking about. Breaking bread, honoring God's word, sharing in the resources and praise and worshiping God. If the only time you engage in praise and worship or prayers when you come here on Saturdays, you are dying. You are bleeding out. Spiritually. I beg you. To get in the word daily. I beg you to pray, to put on music. Praise and worship should be your lifestyle. I don't care if you're hanging a garage door. I don't care if you're at Walmart. And this is not something that has been easy for me to do. We are a single income family. We talk to people almost every day phone call upon phone call upon phone call pastoral care stuff like that all day long so when you get a chance to just be with your family you just want to be alone you just want to be in silence you just want to have your little group i used to be such an extrovert and when you get there and god has forced us even on the road god has forced us he said you better give that woman a better tip you better say a compliment to that woman you better I'm walking around with a Yeshua hat on, and all of a sudden, just massive conviction. And look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a Grinch. I'm not, I'm not out there writing a, a one penny tip saying, like, here's a tip, do better. That's not me. But I'm sitting here and I'm walking around Florida with a Yeshua hat, and I got the Hebrew name of Christ on my head, and I'm saying, Am I really acting like Christ? Because yes, Christ was. He'd be nice to them. But Christ would go way out of his way. The tax collectors, the adulterers, the government, the people that were the scum of the earth, Jesus went and dined with. He asked to be with them. Because see, somewhere along the lines in our journey, we like to somehow think that we have arrived and somehow the people who aren't saved have not. The only thing you've arrived to is your own nonsense. You are only here, and the Holy Spirit working inside of you is only here so that you can go back to the person that you used to be and show them who you are now. The question, though, is if who you are now is no different than who you were before, have you really met your Savior? I'm just asking a question. I'm not trying to beat you up. I know I'm doing a good job of it, but... Ultimately, you are the hands and feet of Messiah. This church, this community is you. It's not me. Don't ever think this church is me. This church is you. It is what God does through 
you. My job is to protect you to the best of my ability. Or die trying. Are you operating in these four things? Is the Holy Spirit manifesting itself inside of you like we saw during Acts chapter 2? I can tell you that it is not inside me. It's starting to. I'm starting to become a little bit more self-aware about some of the issues that I have and some of the things that I need to improve on, some of the things that I hit cruise control on. I bought a new Chevy and I don't even have to hold the steering wheel anymore because it just drives in the lane until you get up by Tulsa where there is no paint on the road and you just bounce everywhere. That's fair, right? Right, Corey? That's fair? Yeah. Okay. Your spiritual walk is not about being on cruise control. These four practices that Luke outlines are to empower us to receive God's spirit corporately. Can you imagine what Oklahoma City, what Norman, what some of the surrounding cities would look like if we engaged more in these four areas? See, a lot of times we worry about other denominations and whether or not they play church. But unless we can honestly look at ourselves as a community and say that we're walking abundantly in those four things, we should surgically start to work on ourselves internally before we worry about anybody else. Are we preparing a table every Saturday for somebody who we've never met? Are we spending the week trying to develop a relationship with somebody we've never met? God, this week I know, I know you want me to find at least one person to minister to and to start walking with. I have failed in that area in this church for the last two years. COVID hit. You got all the mandates, all the political things that are going on. Some people are scared. Some people are scared that they're taking your rights away, whatever. Like people, a lot of people are scared, a lot of fear, a lot of, a lot of things. Trying to navigate through that, we have lost sight of this for our church. And ultimately that starts with me. This is what I want for this community this year. This is what I believe that God wants from this community this year. He wants more fellowship. He wants more life. He wants more discipleship. He wants more prayer. He wants more power in your lives and in this community now than ever before. And some of you walk in this very well. But corporately, this is what I believe he wants for us. I believe that Luke is utilizing the words of growth because ultimately he's, he's tying right back to the very first commandment. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, guys, we like to listen to that and we like to, I mean, well, you just know where that one goes. But the commandment also applies to the kingdom of God. We are to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And by bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, 
we should multiply. Guys, I don't care how many people sit in this church. I care how many people are going to call Jesus their salvation. That's what I care. And if I can teach you or I can lead you or I can help you to walk in these four things in your daily life, the kingdom of God will explode. Isn't that why we're here? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we want God's will to be done on earth, we have to be fruitful and multiply. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So what fruit today, guys, as, as we close down, as Ephraim gets ready to come and, and read Recite the ironic blessing. What fruit, when you look at yourself, are you honestly bearing? This week, that's what I want you to think about. What fruit are you bearing on a daily basis? Is it good? If it's good, could it be better? Inside your home, inside your marriage, inside your relationships, what's the fruit you're bearing? Because ultimately, these four things mean absolutely nothing in this church and in this community if your home is rotten. Dudes, if you are a horrible father and husband, you need to get your heart right now. Don't bring your resources to this community. Take your resources and find resources to fix your home. Wives, if you are bitter against your husband... If you are bitter against your kids, don't bring your resources to the church. Apply the resources to your home and fix it as quickly as possible. If you don't know where, the, where to go to get resources, come find me, come find Ray, come find Stephen, come find Trolling, come find somebody because there's people in this community who want you to thrive. But you have to do something if you want to thrive. You can't sit back and do the status quo and expect that somehow God's just going to miraculously drop in like a new heart and like a, it's like the tin man up in here. If I just keep talking, God will give you some courage. I'm lying. And before you know it, you're the wicked witch who God just dropped the house on. Fix your homes. Break bread together in your homes. All these things apply in your house and then apply in your community and then apply on a national level. Break bread together. Honor God's word together. Pray and worship together. And if you have sinned against your spouse, if you sin against another person in the community, repent. We've created a culture in the world today where we are scared to talk about our shortcomings. And yet the Bible tells us that when you're really in community, this is exactly where you should be able to come and tell them. Why? Because everybody in this place should want your good. Just like in your homes, everybody in your home should want your good. I believe God wants something big for the city. 
six years ago, this month, this church launched. We have been unwavering in our desire to build a bridge between Judaism and Christianity. We have been unwavering in our desire to promote the feasts, the festivals, and the Jewishness of Jesus. We have been unwavering in our call for kingdom action. But this church is more than Daniel Muss and Chris Frankie in Ephraim, Judah. If this church is going to do what God has called it to do, and it's going to continue to thrive, it takes each and every one of you in the gifts that God gave you before you breathed your first breath. It's going to take every one of those gifts. Because ultimately, there's five different offices of apostolic gifts. And all five are needed in order to be able to operate in the perfection of God through the power of his Holy Spirit. This week, I want you to think about the gifts that God has given you. I want you to think about how you could bring those gifts to this community and how those gifts might be the missing piece. When you're singing in the car, should you be singing on stage? When you're cooking food at home, I guess, Peter, you just signed yourself up for a worship team, bro. It's like, no. Don't test me. Don't test me. When you're cooking food this week, set another freezer meal back for the next person having a baby. Just things, simple things like that. Simple things. I'm not asking you to devote time every single day to this. I'm talking about just making it a part of your lifestyle. Ultimately, the way the apostles lived, that was their lifestyle. This wasn't some like, oh my gosh, it's the second Tuesday of every month. Now I need to work my butt off for the kingdom of God. Like, no, like they were all in. They were all in. Are you? Are you all in on the kingdom of God? Are you all in on God using whatever gift or talent he's given you? If you're not, then you are the reason why God can't bless you more. Because you're the one who's hindering God's spirit working inside you. It's not me. It's not anybody else. The devil didn't make you do it. You made a conscious decision on your own. This is an open invitation to every person in this community. If God is activating your heart in some gift, in some talent... I want to know. Ephraim wants to know. Daniel wants to know. Because ultimately, the more that we will multiply the talents together, the more power that this city will see by the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's the season we're in. I believe that's the calling from God. The Holy Spirit wants to revolutionize your walk with Him and revolutionize this community. In a way we've never seen before. But it takes you. Ephraim, if you'll come.